Well, I also want to welcome you here today to First Methodist Mansfield. I want to say welcome to those who are here at our 930 Cornerstone service, those who are in our chapel at the well, and those upstairs in the loft at the Well Cafe. If you're brand new here uh, in any of our worship venues and you're wondering what the life of this church is all about, you just saw uh, what this church is about and, and those different expressions of loving God, loving others, and serving the world. And uh, it's good to be with you on this uh, July 4th uh, weekend. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open that to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, you can find that passage on page 1795 in the Blue Bibles uh, that we have in all of our worship venues. I'd love for you to have that open uh, for us in just a moment when we read that passage. If you're here today and for whatever reason you don't have a Bible, I also want you to know we'd love for you to stop by one of our connecting points uh, and give you one as our gift to you. So if that's you, please stop by and, uh, and let us bless you with uh, that gift. If you were here last weekend, uh, you heard from uh, Pastor Lauren who was sharing her last weekend with us before she began her new role as Associate Pastor of First United Methodist Church in Keller, Texas. And so appreciate your prayers for her today as she begins that new journey and for the Keller family as they welcome her. And this weekend, uh, we are excited to introduce to you someone new as well. So uh, following uh, uh, the 930 service as well uh, as our 11 o'clock services uh, in the atrium, you have the chance to meet uh, Shay Rienga and his wife Lindsay and uh, their son Max. I'll show you a picture of, of the three of them. Uh, they're here today. Uh, Shay's joining our staff working as a minister of evangelism and teaching. And uh, we are excited to welcome him. Uh, a couple of things I want you to note uh, about Shay. Uh, the first is that he's a graduate of Baylor. And I want to lift that to your attention because for many years, uh, people would say to me, you know, as an Aggie graduate, well, all you ever hire is Aggies. And I just want to point out to you that in the last six months, we've hired a Red Raider and now we've hired a Baylor Bear. And I feel like this is a sign of my growth and I just want us all to celebrate that. Uh, someone last night came up after the service and he said, well, what about a Longhorn? And I said, tap the brakes, slow down a little bit. <laughs> Not quite there yet. No, we actually, have, we actually have a Longhorn on staff as well. So uh, I'm really excited about welcoming Shay to our staff, a, a great young leader, great communicator. You're going to be blessed by him. I'm excited to partner with him. Uh, our church is going to be richly blessed, blessed by the gifts and graces that he brings. And so I hope you'll stop by uh, and say welcome to them uh, today. Uh, we are continuing a focus that is a summer-long focus for us. Uh, we're calling the Summer of Joy. There's lots of expressions of that. Uh, you've probably seen the Summer of Joy shirts that, that we've had available. Uh, I've seen them all around town. I was in the grocery store the other day and saw several who were wearing the Summer of Joy shirts. Uh, last uh, weekend, we passed out these Summer of Joy sunglasses. So if you need some sunglasses, these are free. You can pick these up. Or last service at 8.15, I saw a new use for this. So we had a middle school student who was here at 8.15, and he was wearing his glasses right there in church. And I thought, I can't tell if he's awake or asleep, you know? So there you go. If you want to sleep during church, you can pick up some sunglasses, and the pastor will have no idea. So uh, we are excited about this series of uh, moving through this series of, of claiming joy in our life. That's really the purpose of challenging ourselves to claim the joy that is a life in Christ. And by the way, we don't intend to have this as the background of this sermon, so you can take that down. 
I mean, they're great, but again, you'll see them afterwards. So, uh, uh, claiming the life of joy that is available when we live our life in Christ. We talked about where that begins in our life. It begins at the foot of the cross. When we come to the cross and we receive the mercy and grace of God, that's where a life in Christ begins. And that is also where this life of joy is sustained in an ongoing way that it is sustained, it's nurtured, it grows in us as we continually come back to the foot of the cross. And we remember the gift that we have been given. We remember that everything in our life is a gift. It's a gift of God's grace and God's mercy and that is what nurtures us in this life. And we've talked about that from that place, that beginning place, we're, we're not meant to simply stay there, but rather when we come to the cross, we receive the grace of God, we then enlist ourselves in the movement of sharing that grace with others, of joining with others in the church, building the kingdom of God in all of our relationships, seeking to live out the same grace and mercy that we ourselves have received from God. Today what we're going to do is really move into the second half of the series. We're going to look at that word joy more specifically. What do we mean when we talk about joy? When, when we talk about joy in relationship to this life of faith, this life of living with Jesus. And in the weeks to come, we're going to talk a little bit more about the fruits of that kind of life and, and how we uh, continually engage in that life. But let me begin today with addressing what is a common misconception in the way we think about that word joy the way that we use that word joy. So the most common way, I would argue, the most common way in which we use the word joy is we think of it, uh, we think of joy as an emotion that is based on circumstance. That when we use it just in our everyday language, that's, that's typically how we are expressing or using the word. In other words, we use joy interchangeably with the word happiness. And when you think about a moment in your life where you were happy, you probably can also very quickly describe for someone what the reason or the circumstance was that led you to feeling happy. So here's an example. Over the course of the last two weeks, uh, my wife and I, who have a 14-year-old daughter and a nine-year-old son, uh, they have been away at grandparent camp the last two weeks, okay? So they were with my wife's uh, uh, parents two weeks ago. This week they were with uh, my parents. They helped my mom with an arts camp they do at, uh, at, at her church. They're actually there this morning uh, helping to lead worship. But they were gone. So for two weeks, we really were empty nesters in our house. We experienced a level of calm and peace that is not normal in our house. And that made me happy. <laughs> I was happy about that. Now, when they came home, just so you don't misunderstand, I was happy about that too. I was happy to, to welcome them back home. But that was the, that was the circumstance. Again, you, you know what I mean here. That's what we think about. We think about happiness and also the common way that we speak about joy. Something happens in our life and we feel joyful. There is a joy that is present because of some particular reason. But when we think about joy in relationship to faith, how the scriptures speak about joy, I want you to hear that we're actually talking about something very different than this. When we think about joy in relationship to this life of faith of following Jesus, we think of joy as a habit that is based on relationship. It's a habit of the heart 
that is based on relationship. And we're going to look at how, what that looks like, the distinction between the two, as we look at this passage today from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to begin uh, reading to you at verse 5. Now, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And what I want to invite you to listen for is first how Paul speaks about his understanding of his ministry. So Paul was one who had been transformed by God's grace. He'd met Jesus on the road to Damascus. It changed his life. In response to that, he, uh, he enlisted himself in this new movement uh, of sharing the good news about Jesus, planting churches all throughout the, all throughout the Roman world. Paul's going to talk about how he understands his ministry. And I want you to also listen for how Paul describes the circumstances of his life now as he's living as a follower of Jesus. So beginning in verse 5, it says this, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. In other words, Paul says, when I think about my ministry, the center of this ministry isn't me. There's nothing self-serving about this. The center of Paul's life and his ministry was Jesus. Jesus is at the center of that, and even more specifically, the fundamental idea of Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus Christ is now Lord of my life, and now everything that I do is driven by that idea. Christ at the center of my life, not me. And, and, and Paul sees himself and all of his partners in ministry who traveled with him and also invested in these communities. He says, we, we are simply servants for Jesus' sake. We're trying to do for you what Jesus has done for us. We're trying to serve you in the same way that Jesus has served us. Verse 6, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. In other words, this is all God's gift that God has given to us that we now give to you. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The treasure being this good news that God has given. The treasure being the gospel, the good news about Christ and how Christ has come and changed everything. This is a treasure that has been placed, Paul says, in brittle clay jars. Who's he referring to? He's talking about himself. And again, he's talking about all of his partners in ministry. He's talking about all of those who have, who, who have joined him in this work. He says, we are nothing more than piles of dirt that have been shaped into brittle, fragile clay jars. In other words, there's nothing impressive about us. If you're coming out to see the show because you think there's something exciting about us, no, that's, that's not it. There, there, there's nothing uh, worthy of praise when you look at our lives. And, and, and he says that's actually helpful because it's a further reminder that all of, this is, all of this is happening because of God's glory. And listen to what he says in verse 8. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And then skip with me to verse 16. Therefore, Paul says, we do not lose heart. 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So again, let's look, let's look at these two expressions of joy as an emotion that is based on circumstance or joy as a habit that is based on relationship. And as you think about these two ideas, listen to how Paul describes the circumstances of his own life. He describes his life as being one in which he is hard-pressed, he is perplexed, he is persecuted, he has been struck down. He says of himself and those who are partners with him in this ministry, we always are carrying around the death of Jesus and we are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So you might just imagine this as the moment that Paul would begin passing around the sign-up sheet. As he would say, this is what following Jesus is all about. These are the perks of membership in this movement. This is what you can reasonably expect. If you give your life to Jesus, you'll be persecuted. You'll be struck down. It'll, it's a perplexing situation. Uh, you, you will be pressed in upon. You will be carrying around the death of Jesus. So uh, make sure the clipboard gets around to everybody because I know you're all going to want to sign up for this new life. These are the circumstances, he says. That he and his, uh, his partners in ministry are living in every day. And yet notice what he lays alongside these circumstances. Things that seem to have no discernible connection to, to, to the way he describes his circumstances. He says, in spite of all of these things, we are not crushed. We are not in despair. We have not been abandoned and we have not yet been destroyed. We're alive and not dead, and therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, something is happening in us. We are being renewed each and every day. And in the midst of these circumstances, in the midst of all that we're going through, we are achieving an eternal glory that far outweighs any and all things that we may be experiencing in our life right now because joy isn't just an emotion that is based on our circumstances. Joy is a habit that is based on relationship. So we're going to look in the coming weeks of what that, what that means and, and, and why we would use the word habit and what does it mean that this grows out of relationship. But today I want you to think about that and I want you to hear that in, in the story of, of someone that you know. Uh, many of you know that, that yesterday we celebrated the life of a very dear friend, Amanda Ferguson. Amanda was someone who was a force for good in the lives of so many. She served as our director of special needs ministry and, and under her leadership, that ministry went to a whole new level. 
Uh, Pastor Tina shared yesterday as, we, as she talked about her life and her ministry, she said, you know, we had people who were working in that ministry before her who did good work. They were, they were great people, but the ministry just didn't experience what we had hoped it would. It hadn't grown in the way that we thought it would. We didn't know what we needed to do, but Amanda came in and Amanda started doing some things that none of us had thought about doing. Engaging with the community and with other resources in the community in a way that we hadn't thought of before. And, and it explained. Amanda was someone who lived out her conviction that one act of kindness at just the right moment could change a life and a changed life changes the world. She had a strength and a sense of determination that you really couldn't capture in words, but it was one that was on full display over the course of her many month battle with bone cancer. Over the course of those many months, one of the things uh, that was noticeable, that was somewhat unique about her story and her journey through all the different treatments that she went through, and we saw this as pastors who were caring for her and seeking to love her and support her, Amanda, over the course of those many months, never received any good news. She went through some of the worst uh, kinds of treatment that you can go through in order to deal with what she was facing in her life. And at the end of those horrible experiences, the tumor would be either the same size or have grown. Never receiving any good news so often that there were many occasions throughout the journey when it would have been perfectly understandable for Amanda to say, I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel. Nothing's working. Nothing is making this any better. But Amanda never did that. In fact, at the end of her life, as, as we shared with her and talked about what she wanted her friends and her family and, and the families of those special needs individuals that she had invested her life in, what is it you want them to hear, Amanda? When they come to celebrate your life, what is it that you most want them to know? What she said was, I want you to tell them that I never gave up. Tell them that I never stopped fighting, that I was willing to try anything. You tell them that I didn't quit. That's what she wanted to be the legacy of her life and in particular what she endured over the course of these last few months. Tell them I never gave up, I never quit fighting, I was willing to try anything. And if joy is an emotion based on circumstance, then Amanda would have been one who you would, again, have reasonably assumed that at the end of, the end of her life, the joy was gone. But that wasn't the case. That simply wasn't the case. In the fall of 2016, Amanda shared with our church her story. And so today I want, I want to share that with you. I want you to listen to Amanda's story. I want you to have a, a to, to give you a window into what it was that gave her such determination and strength, but also what it was that sustained throughout her life her joy. Listen to Amanda's story. I was a sophomore at Mansfield High School and my soccer coach at the time was our special ed teacher and he asked me to come help in special needs. So I went off to college 
For some reason, I took a class on autism and I volunteered at the Texas School for the Deaf as part of the cheering squad for their football games. So I did a lot of this. I really had no idea what that was setting me up for. I moved back to Mansfield and met my husband, had a baby, he's a coach. I had three businesses. Our jobs were more important than anything else. We weren't successful at our marriage. So after we divorced, I didn't want to have anything to do with Shane. I would make my mom do the exchange when he wanted to see our son Brody. We basically did not speak to each other. Shane's best friend from college, Brandon, was diagnosed with stomach cancer. I know the divorce was hard for him, but I can't imagine losing your wife and son and then losing your best friend. And looking back on that, I kick myself because I left him alone at the time when he probably needed me the most. I started coming back to church here, would just sit in the back row by myself and cry. It was almost just a wake up call that this can't be the life I was meant to have. I was getting home after my son was asleep. And so I sold my stores and I came to work part time as children's admin. That whole process of being poured into set me up for changing how I viewed Shane, my marriage. We were divorced for four years and it was the day before Brody's birthday, Shane had asked to see him and my mom couldn't do it. So Shane came to the house and I look up and seriously our eyes locked and my heart changed. That's the guy I fell in love with. That's the guy I married. What am I doing? This is my family. I'm gonna fight for it. I took Brody to the water park for his birthday and I'm sitting there looking at him and he looks just like his dad. And I took a picture and I texted it to him. Before, I never would have sent a picture because I wouldn't feel he deserved it. For the first time in years, I sent him a text picture of Brody. Shane said that he was kneeling uh, next to Brandon's grave, praying for our family. He said, when I get back in town, do you think we could go to lunch? And I said, you can take me to church. That day, that message, it was meant for us. Pastor David talked about grace. And from that moment on, life kind of changed. Our family is important. We're gonna do whatever it takes. And then we had a second baby named Brandon. <laughs> After Shane's best friend, we said our vows again in the chapel, the same chapel. <laughs> this church was a place of healing. I would volunteer in special needs. The ministry started growing and I started Valentina had some ideas and she was supportive. They let me add a Bible study. We realized that the ministry was so big, they created a director of special needs ministry. My life is where it is today because of Grace. From high school, my soccer coach asking me to work with special needs. College, I just volunteered to now be at the church the first director of special needs ministry. I know now what God's plan is for me to advocate and serve individuals with disabilities. A couple months ago, I realized in church, I wasn't crying because I was sad. I was crying because I'm so thankful to be here and that God put on my heart this ministry. So now I really do think when I cry, it's joy and I thank Him for doing the things he did and putting me here. Amanda, 
Leah was uh, baptized in this church. She was married in this church. Uh, in this church, uh, she came back to faith, uh, experiencing the realization that the life that she was living was not the life that she was meant to live. In this church, she was remarried. Uh, her family was made whole again. Her and her husband Shane were blessed to, to welcome a new son. In this church, she discovered her passion for special needs ministry, investing in that. In this church, Amanda's life was changed. And in response to that change, Amanda invested herself in the work of changing the lives of others. And I know you get to the end of that video and you think to yourself, wow, what great possibilities. And you think today about what, what we have lost in, 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 in losing our dear friend. But one of the things that Amanda and Shane have said many times over the course of this last year is that they couldn't imagine having to walk through the journey they had to walk through had these miracles not happened in their life. Had this work of grace not happened in their life, had had God not brought them back together as husband and wife? Had they not had surrounding them the, the church family who was invested in them as they, as they went through this very difficult, very difficult journey? Though, those miracles, that, that work of grace, that everything that she shared there, that was, that was Amanda's joy. And that was a joy that, that lasted all throughout her life. So, so here again what Paul says, therefore we do not lose heart. Therefore we do not lose heart for though we are wasting away outwardly, inwardly we are being renewed every day. And we believe that despite anything we may be experiencing in our life right now, there is an eternal glory that is being stored up for us that far outweighs anything and everything that we might have to experience in our lives. And so we focus not on what we can see, but what we cannot see. Not what is temporary, but what is eternal. So today, as you participate in the sacrament of Holy Communion, as you again come to the foot of the cross, whatever it is that you are going through in your life, I want to invite you to receive the grace of God. And remember that this, this is where life begins. This is what life is all about. Let's pray together. Loving God, we give you thanks for the reminders in our life that point us back to the path that we really want to be on, the one that leads to a life to the full, a life with you. We pray, Lord, today you would remind us of what joy really is, of what life really is as we remember your mercy, as we think about being chosen by you to receive this great gift of your love, the sacrifice of your son Jesus, the life he comes to offer to us. Lord, enable us this day as we kneel and receive to, to be transformed, to be changed, so that we, Lord, might participate in the great gift of investing in the change of others' lives as well. Lord, give us what is 
true joy that can only come from you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.